history tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 18th episode of the History Goes Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. And today we're taking you to a different land once again, another place that I think is on our bucket list of places we need to visit. It is the beautiful country of Iceland. We are going to talk today about the lore and the haunted happenings on this beautiful country. Before we get into that, we do want to give a shout out to Jamie, who sent us some feedback on the podcast and said, quote, love this podcast. Well, we love the fact that you're listening, Jamie. We love all of our listeners, and we want to thank all of you for tuning in and listening to the show. We hope you all had a great Christmas and are looking forward to a new year. We're looking forward to a new year here on the show with more great shows coming, lots of listeners and lots of activity and events and all kinds of great stuff. Lots of live ghost tours. That'll be a great fun, and hopefully many of you will be able to join up with with us across the country as we do those. Yeah, that'll be a lot of fun. Please check out our website at historygoesbump.com. It's a great place to stop for everything you ever want to know about the show, whether it's to visit the blog where you'll find all the show notes for each of our shows. Plus, we have a few other articles we put up there, as a matter of fact, on Christmas. I was sitting down and watching one of my favorite Christmas shows. TBS always runs 24 hours of A Christmas Story. Yeah, and of course, Diane wants a gun, but a real gun. And I don't know if I should say, I don't think so, because you'll shoot your eye out. <laughs> yeah, that would do a little <laughs> bit more damage than a BB. <laughs> but as I was watching it this year, and I got to see this movie originally in the movie theater when I was a kid, I got to thinking, I wonder what some of the history is behind some of that stuff. So if you check out the blog article that we did that's Merry Christmas 2014, we do a little bit of history on the store that is featured in that show. It is an actual real location, or at least it once was. It's no longer open anymore. And we talked a little bit about the actual house that was used in that show as well. So if you want to check that out, that's a great place. We've also got the Emporium. The archives are up there. We have the most recent 10 shows on the homepage, but if you want to check out any of our archives, you can do that over on the archives page. We also have an events tab for any events that we have planned, contact information, and where you can hear the podcast, the various places you can subscribe to it. Also, you can subscribe to the newsletter there and donate to the show. And of course, we would appreciate, we get a lot of feedback from you guys about how much you love the show and everything. If you're listening on any kind of podcatchers where they allow you to do reviews, we would absolutely love those. I know for me, I love to listen to podcasts and I'd be listening to them and I'd hear people always saying, hey, if you give us a review on iTunes, iTunes or whatever. And I would just listen and go along. And I got to thinking, you know, if I really love a show, I probably should go over there and give it a review because they're asking for it. And I can't really expect other people to review my show if I'm not reviewing the shows that I'm listening to. Absolutely. And that is a great way for us to kind of have a gauge of how we're doing or things that people would love to see more, the things that they love. So it just is a great, a great um, marker for us to know where the show's going and, and what's going on. So please go review. And there are literally, obviously, if you listen to podcasts, you know, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of choices you can make out there. And we get lost in the whole sea of that. So if we get a lot of reviews, it helps us to kind of come out of the 
well of all those different podcasts that are out there. Yes, please come. We're lost at sea. We need life preservers. If you want to contact us about the show, if you want to make suggestions for where you'd like to hear, you know, different places you'd like to hear about or things that you'd like to hear changed about the show, or if you just want to tell us how that you're liking the show, you can email us at historygoesbump at gmail.com. All right, let's get started with this show. like to support the show please visit our patreon page at patreon.com forward slash history goes bump or perhaps you just want to make a one-time donation click the donate button on our website at historygoesbump.com Israeli jewelry designer Naomi Kitzner has created a new line of jewelry for her graduation project at Jerusalem's Hadassah College. The jewelry line has been named Energy Addicts and is certainly odd. The jewelry is designed to generate electricity that turns a golden wheel inside the jewelry that generates electricity through kinetic energy that is enough to light up LEDs and possibly even charge mobile devices. It sounds innovative and useful until you find out how that kinetic energy is generated. The jewelry looks to us like a torture implement. There are golden spikes on each end that are inserted into the wearer's veins, and then the flow of blood is directed through the jewelry piece generating kinetic energy. The collection has three pieces, the blood bridge, the blinker, and the e-pulse conductor. The jewelry is meant to wake people up to their use of energy and whether they would be willing to sacrifice their bodies to create energy. Naomi said, quote, I wanted to explore the post-humanistic approach that sees the human body as a resource, end quote. The human body already makes up a pretty good resource, we think, upon death when organs can be transplanted and our body returns to the dust of the earth. While we agree that finding alternative forms of energy is a good idea, Sticking golden spikes into our veins via jewelry is not only odd, but terrifying. Pull the covers up tight. That chill you feel isn't the air conditioning. This day in history. On this date, December 29th, in 1967, an episode of Star Trek introduced us all to Tribbles in an episode titled The Trouble with Tribbles. It was Star Trek's 44th episode and debut during its second season. The show finds the Enterprise at the deep space station K7 with orders to guard a grain shipment. While there, Lieutenant Yuhara, played by Nichelle Nichols, is given a Tribble by a trader. Tribbles appear to be cute furballs and they are initially treated like pets. The idea for the form of the Tribble was taken from a furry keychain. 1,500 Tribbles were created for the episode. The Enterprise crew is unaware just how quickly Tribbles multiply. And Tribbles eat, so great concern arises that the Tribbles will eat all the ship's food. Not to mention that the little creatures are getting inside of the ship's systems. 
and finally the Tribbles find the grain that the crew is guarding and they gorge on it. The Tribbles then begin to die, solving one problem, but then the crew realizes that the grain is poisoned because it is killing the Tribbles. The Klingons have poisoned the grain. The Klingon responsible is arrested and the traders ordered to get rid of all the Tribbles. The Enterprise transports its Tribbles onto a nearby Klingon ship where Scotty says they will be no Tribble at all. This episode was nominated for a Hugo Award for Best Dramatic Presentation. This episode has been described as, quote, the most celebrated episode of the whole series, end quote, and has been the most watched episode reaching outside the bounds of Trekkies. History Goes Bump Podcast. All right, before we get into telling you a lot of the information about Iceland here and sharing some of the stories and the lore there, we do want to apologize because a lot of the names and locations are Norwegian and Swedish and Scandinavian, that kind of thing where they have... um, Weird little marks around their vowels and vowels that are put together and stuff. So we apologize now for some of our pronunciations. Iceland is a gorgeous country with a rich history. Irish monks settled in Iceland in the 8th century. In the 860s, Norsemen, quote-unquote, discovered Iceland. The first Viking who tried to settle in Iceland was a Norwegian named Floki Vilgerosen, but his animals were killed in the deadly cold, and he returned to Norway, calling this new land Iceland. A noble Norseman by the name of Engolfer Arnarsson settled in Reykjavik in 871, and he is the one who gave the city that name. Iceland was broadly settled in the 9th and 10th centuries by Norsemen from Scandinavia and Celts from the British Isles and the Irish monks who were driven out. By 930, there were 60,000 people living in Iceland. Today, Iceland has a population of around 320,000. Iceland has become known as a beautiful destination with hot springs, glaciers, and volcanoes that occasionally disrupt air travel But there's far more to Iceland than just pretty pictures. When speaking about the supernatural in the country of Iceland, one must always start with the lore about elves, which are a big deal in Iceland, much like the fairy people are in Europe. Superstition is a part of Iceland's history that continues on today. The people of Iceland believe they share their land with elves, trolls, and a group of little people similar to dwarves. The lore behind elves dates back to the beginning of time and starts where many people believe life started with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve had had several children, and God came to visit them one day and asked to see the children. Now, as we know, God knows everything and sees everything, and so he knew that when the first couple presented their children, not all of their children were present. Eve had not been able to wash up all the children, so she'd hidden the unclean children. God was angry with this deception, and so he said, What man hides from God, God will hide from man. The unwashed children became invisible and can only be seen when they choose to show themselves. The elves descended from these people. They can either be friendly or hostile. Elves are believed to have control of the sun and weather, and if you mess with an elf, you can bet you will have bad luck. Elf stones are found around Iceland, which look like large boulders, and they are believed to be the doorway that leads to an elf house. Elves prefer craggy, 
interesting rocks. Superstition has led the Icelandic people to build homes and roads around these elf stones, and they leave them alone. Mess with a rock, and disaster will follow. How does one tell if a boulder is an elf stone? Try moving it with a bulldozer or breaking it up with a jackhammer, and if it does not budge or break, it is an elf stone. Following is a story that's an example of how the superstition continues today. This was written back on June 4th in 2012 on IcelandOnline.com. Member of Parliament Arnie Johnson recently arranged for the transportation of a 50-ton boulder from the Helishidi Mountain Pass to his backyard in Vesmanier, a more ideal environment, Arnie says, for the family of elves who inhabit it. Yes, a set of grandparents, a couple of parents, and three children who stand no more than 80 centimeters tall have reportedly joined the 4,000 people who live on the small island off the south coast of Iceland. Arnie says he became acquainted with these particular elves after a high-speed crash in 2010, wherein his car torpedoed 50 meters off the highway, destroying the vehicle, but leaving him unscathed. The elves told me they wanted to be in the grass, Arnie says. Now they have windows looking toward the sea and the island and some sheep as neighbors. Everything is under control. Arnie, who will run for re-election next year, says he is not only the MP who believes in elves, though he refuses to give up the identities of others, despite the fact that only 8% of Icelanders admit to believing in elves outright, according to a 2007 poll conducted by Terry Gunnell head of folklorists at the University of Iceland, headmaster of the elf school Magnus Skarfendisen, says plenty of government officials and ministers, including President Olafur Ragnar Grimson, believe in elves. It would be political suicide in Iceland to claim elves don't exist, Magnus adds. Indeed, some government projects take this elf stuff seriously. As an MP who sits on the Committee on the Environment and Transportation, Arnie says construction workers needed to move a large stone when building a road from Keflavik International Airport to Reykjavik two years ago. Arnie sent a specialist to check if the boulder housed elves and his suspicions were confirmed. When I came close to the stone, I could see light in it. There were a few elves there, Arnie says. If you move them, it's okay. You just have to be very careful and speak to them and be very gentle. More recently, residents of Bolingarvik in the West Fjords blamed elves for construction equipment breaking down as workers were drilling a tunnel through a mountain last June, potentially disturbing elf homes. Townspeople's workers and a priest came together to try to ward off the elves' spiritual backlash. Of course, they have lots of power, Arnie says, even for such little creatures. Elf relocation is very controversial. Arnie maintains that the elves were willing immigrants to his backyard, noting that television personality and self-proclaimed elf specialist Ranghildur Jonzontier signed off on the move. But elf scholar Magnus Scarfendissen is crying foul. This could be dangerous, says Magnus, who has spent the last 30 years studying the lives of elves and hidden people, the latter being just as mystical as elves, but are reportedly human-sized, during which time he says he's met more than 700 people who have seen or talked to elves. Elves don't typically consent to having their homes moved over land and sea, Magnus says. He claims Arnie's actions were a maniac idea that would likely result in a sort of revenge. Arnie has resuscitated his own political life after he was sentenced to two years in prison in 2003 for embezzling government funds from a project to refurbish the National Theater. Former Prime Minister Gear Hardy pardoned him in 2006, and Arnie wasn't ready to say that the elves looked down on his troubled past. You should ask God that question. He knows it best. Isn't that interesting that they say that only, what was that, 7%? Uh, I think you said 7% will admit that they believe in elves, and yet these guys who are in charge of the government, that's the thing about superstition. 
Because I know even for you and I, I'm not a really a superstitious person, but there are certain things that if somebody says, if you do that, this will happen, I'll think twice about it. Maybe maybe it's just best not to do that. It's almost like that's how they're doing it in Iceland. Well, like I say, don't tempt the spirits. <laughs> just, <laughs> who knows what they might or might not do, but I figure walk on the side of caution. Now, you know what I find interesting is we were doing the research on this with the elves and the little people and everything. When you talk about the little people... As this article mentioned, the dwarves are supposed to be about our size. They just look a little bit different, and generally they're a little bit smaller, kind of like our little people here who were born with not an ability to grow to a full size. And when it's talking about the elves here, they're, they're little, whereas... I don't know, for you and I, who are fans of Tolkien and have seen The Lord of the Rings and everything, elves and that are big, statuesque people. And Legolas, no matter which side you're on, is gorgeous. He's good looking, yeah. So love it's, Legolas. It's interesting <laughs> that in these stories, the elves are little things. Yeah. Moving on, a New York Times article reported, quote, a port on the outskirts of Reykjavik prides itself on its unusually high elf population. Tourists are invited to tour the known elf locations, including a large rock whose reputation as an elf habitat meant that a nearby road was diverted some years ago so as not to disturb its unseen residents. Ellie Erlingdottir, head of a town council's planning committee, said that made sense to her. Recently, she said, some elves borrowed her kitchen scissors, only to return them a week later to a place she had repeatedly searched. My philosophy is, you don't have to see everything you believe in, she said, because many of your greatest experiences happen with closed eyes. Since we are just coming out of the Christmas holiday season, we should give a mention of the Yule Lads. These are 13 men that take the place of Father Christmas or Santa Claus in Icelandic folklore. Children put their shoes in the windowsills on the 13 days leading up to Christmas, and based on their behavior, they either receive a gift or a punishment like rotten potatoes. So, Diane, I just wanted to let you know I expect some shoes out so I can gauge your behavior next year. <laughs> let me just say, if I get any rotten potatoes, you might want to think twice about those Christmas mashed potatoes you're eating. You'll be eating them too. Just saying. (laughs) (laughs) I'll watch you to see if you dig in like normal. (laughs) Yeah, if I'm pausing too long and drowning the potatoes in something else, you're like, she loves mashed potatoes, but she only took an itty bitty little spoonful. Hmm. Hmm, I wonder if those rotten potatoes from day eve eight have something to do with this. Of course, in us saying that, we're both under the assumption that I'm going to be bad. (laughs) And of course, Diane jumped right in that she was getting rotten potatoes, so... I just have to look. She already admitted. At different times in history, these Yule lads have been anything from pranksters to full-on monsters that eat children. That's that's some bad kids. <laughs> Ew. This year, we enjoyed following Inspired by Iceland over at Twitter, which are you can find it at Iceland Inspired, and learned about all 13 Yule lads. There is the sheep coat Claude. Gully Gawk, who steals milk. Stubby, who steals pans to eat the crust from them. Spoon Licker, who steals spoons, of course. Pot Licker, who eats leftovers. That's me. That would be you, for sure. Bowl Licker, who eats from your bowl if you set it down. That's me, too. Door Slammer. Skyer Gobbler, who eats Skyer. And if you don't know what that is, it's similar to our yogurt here in America. That'd be you. Exactly. Sausage Swiper. Depends upon what kind of sausage, if I would be stealing sausage. I don't really go for that German sausage, but Ugh. Italian sausage I love. Window peeper. Better not be you. <laughs> <laughs> Doorway sniffer. That's Rafiki. <laughs> meat hook, who steals meat with a hook. And finally, candle stealer. We're not, whatever those are. Yule lads? Probably oh, yeah. not, because we're not male either. 
Also, if they ever come out with Yule Lasses, but we'll have much better names, trust me. Yeah, I door sniffer. <laughs> Although Rob Peaky could be door sniffer. She's cute. <laughs> no, what was that one? Golly gawk. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. At Granger, we're for the ones who specialize in saving the day. And for the ones who've mastered the art of keeping business moving. We offer industrial-grade supplies for every industry. With same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders. All backed by real people ready to help. So you can get the right answers and products right when you need them. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Icelanders celebrate 12 nights of Christmas like Europeans. January 6th is 12th night. On the 8th night of Yule, the new year falls, and this is considered a magical time in Iceland. On this night, cows can speak, elves move, seals become human, and the dead rise from their graves. That being said, this is probably the most haunted evening in Iceland as well. Iceland is considered to be quite a haunted land based on its Celtic and Nordic history. Ghosts are broken up into several categories. And when you're talking about cows speaking and seals becoming human, it does make you wonder how much they're tying it on on New Year's Eve to see those things. Is it really legend and lore or are they just drunk? I don't know. We have cows that put up signs here in the United States. So who knows what cows can do? Eat more chicken. (laughs) (laughs) There are mountainside goats that live in shacks and caves in the hills. They are often seen by shepherds. Two of these ghosts are named Eagle and Starkadur. Eagle was killed when he fell off a mountain, and Starkadur died when he was crushed by a rock. The farmer, Tomas from Bratholt, had a run-in with a mountainside ghost at a mountain shack in Lambafelsver and spent an evening having to defend himself with a pocket knife. I don't know how well pocket knives actually work against ghosts, but more power to him. There are more which are the male ghosts that wear clothing like the poor people of old in Iceland, and female ghosts that are called skota. The skota are reputed to wear brown dresses, backward hairdresses, and red socks. And apparently, they suck on their fingers for some reason. I just find it interesting that they have all these different categories of ghosts, whereas here, most of the categories in America is, is it residual, is it intelligent? They have, like, specific, this is the kind of ghost that is. There are stable ghosts that are the spirits of farmers who've passed away and continue to hang out in stables. One such ghost would attack men from behind, and so people walk backwards out of stables to ensure no such attack. Sagas relate the tales of ghosts from ancient times as well. One of these ancient ghosts is named Goik Au Fuvare in Numfrajeta. Boy, I'm sure glad that you got that paragraph. Holy smokes. There are stories about nude ghosts as well that seem to be premonitions of approaching death. Several stories through the years tell of people who have seen a familiar face sitting or walking somewhere naked, and then the naked person just disappears. Several days later, the person who appeared to be a nude ghost will die. A man by the name of Valdi, who was from Heller, saw the crew of a ship in Shoikseri, 
naked on the street. These men would later drown in a shipwreck the following winter. Then these men would become sea ghosts, which appear to people as wet and sad ghosts. There is a superstition in Iceland that explains ghosts of infants that are seen, but more often heard. If an infant is not baptized before they die, they are doomed to haunt as a ghost. Their cries are sometimes thought to be warnings of bad weather coming. Ghost animals are explained as being human ghosts that have disguised themselves in animal form. The lore of ghosts in Iceland claims that a ghost can take on any form that it wants. A story about a talking skeleton goes like this. In the 18th century, a complete skeleton of a woman was found in a grave, but the unusual thing about the skeleton was that it was totally intact. She was later placed underneath a bench in the church, but then some schoolboys challenged a maidservant to go to the church and fetch the skeleton, which she did. On her way through the church basement, the skeleton began talking to her and told her a story about how she had died during a dispute with the bishop's wife and therefore would not rot completely in her grave. She has to be buried in the grave with the bishop's lady, and after some discussion between the two of them, the dispute was settled, and in that same instant, the skeleton turned to dust. This story is told by Axith. My name is Axith. I have experienced these paranormal activities two times in my life, and I would be writing down one of it now and the other one later. This must have happened when I was in my schooling days. Being a resident from Mangalore, I visited my uncle's house, which was next to the railway tracks. My uncle had bought the house and started living in it. As I had summer vacations, I wanted to visit and stay in my uncle's house, and my relatives were talking about this experience in that house. I was anxious, and I decided to stay there for a week. This activity used to start around 8 p.m. when the power goes off, as we used to have these load shedding to save electricity. In these houses, they have an attic with a wooden flooring, and my uncle used to store coconuts in the attic. Coconuts in Iceland? That's weird. That's really weird. Do <laughs> you think that was um, more like Hawaiian ghosts? Yeah. At around 8 30 p.m. we hear this sound in the attic as if someone would bang with a hammer on a heavy object in a, in a proper series. First it would be three bangs and after a few seconds again three bangs. These sounds seriously increase your heartbeats. My two uncles and many more relatives including myself were sleeping under the attic and were waiting eagerly to witness this sound and then it really happened. And when I experienced these I really got scared as it was not sounding normal. Many relatives had different ex explanations. Some said it would be the rats or the wooden flooring that expands due to heat and all that. But trust me, these sounds were like someone was really banging the attic floor. My uncle and I checked the attic the next day, but there was nothing except for some coconuts. But we both were so scared. The house was blessed by the priest several times, and it had no effect. Finally, I got to know that my uncle, as they are very religious and being Roman Catholics, had asked service from really powerful nuns powerful meaning spiritual, and then the sound had stopped. They say that the house was occupied by Hindus who had a Tulsi Kata in front of the house, a place where Hindus pray early in the morning, which was removed by my uncle, and that was the cause. No one ever knew why it was happening, but seriously, guys, it was one scary experience. There is a ghost center in Iceland in the city of Stuxiri that offers audio tours that tell the ghost stories of the country. I definitely want to do that when we go, Diane. Exactly. That would be very cool. The reception area has a bar that plays host to its very own Bernivan ghost, and there is a ghost maze. Bernivan is the original schnapps of Iceland, and so I guess the bar ghost is aptly named. The center has a tale about Kamsvolt's Mori. Quote, in the year 2000, a project was scheduled to tear down some old buildings 
farms and outhouses in South Iceland that had been abandoned and left for destruction. The project was led by only the best, Reik Tunar Sambad Floa and Skeita. Every day for a couple of weeks, the director would meet his staff in the morning and tell them which buildings to tear down that day. The men were startled when they were asked to tear down the old farm in Katinu and the following day, the old farm in Hialeguni. Then one morning, the director told them to tear down an old farm and outhouse in Camfolt, which had not been used in some 30 years. But what happened was that the workers absolutely refused tearing down the house in Camfolt. They were all raised in Floen and knew that Maury had stayed there for a long time. The director tried to make them obey orders, but the men refused and said that they would tear down Vesetior, the president's residence, but Kemfolt they would not touch. The director wondered and was well aware of what hung from the beam in Kemfolti. To his luck, a man came along who said he was willing to tear down the farm. He just moved to Selfos from east of Flo Dasharad with his family and had never heard stories of Mori. The man was to go there alone, for no one would go there with him. He had got his bulldozer up on a big truck and was heading for Campfold. As he was getting the bulldozer off his truck, he thought he saw a person running into the house. He approached the door and called to the person to come out. The farm was being demolished, and he did not want anyone to get hurt. There was no response, so he went into the house only to find that nobody was inside. He thought to himself that it might just have been his imagination and started tearing down the buildings. The three following nights were very hard for him and his family. Each night he would wake up by being dragged to the front door and beaten on by an invisible being. So he would lay there on the floor battered. His wife cried and thought her husband was losing his mind, but the situation ended almost as soon as it had started. The man says himself that he was in no doubt that the person he saw run into the house was Mori, and that he was angry of what was happening and wanted revenge. The man believes that his life was saved because another ghost that followed him from where he lived previously intervened and saved his master's life. Iceland is indeed a country of wonders. Do some of those wonders include mythical creatures such as elves? Do the undead continue to roam about the countryside and villages? That is for you to decide. And all of the stories that we shared with you here on the podcast, we have links to in the show notes if you'd like to get more information. The one that seemed more of a current present one was uh, up on a forum of people who were talking about Icelandic ghosts. I'll tell you, as we were doing the research on this, it was very difficult to find any information because obviously in other countries, it's taken a while for some of the paranormal to come on. Like I listened to a podcast in Australia and there's it's starting to get where there's a lot more talk about paranormal things in Australia, but it's taken many years for them to get to that point. It's not something that they had really put out there, kind of like how here in America, America. You know, until you had the spiritualist movement, not too many people were talking about spirits. And even then, it was very much a forbidden and a strange thing. And it really took, although you know, we kind of wonder about the reality of ghost hunters and ghost adventurers and that kind of thing. And it's definitely on there for entertainment value. One thing it has done is made it so that people feel more comfortable talking about their experiences. And so in Iceland, I don't know how many people are real comfortable about talking about their experiences. Like you pointed out earlier. 7% of people who were polled say they believe in elves. But if you're redirecting your construction projects like roads and stuff, I'm thinking there's more than just 7% of people who believe in that superstition. Oh, very true. And I think a lot of times it is the fear of being labeled as like kind of a, a whack job or 
a Looney Tunes if you start talking about that stuff. So even like you just mentioned, even here in the United States, a lot of times people wouldn't talk about seeing ghosts and stuff like that because for fear of people thinking they were crazy. We also wanted to update you a little bit. If you are not subscribed to the newsletter, you haven't heard this yet. This is why you want to be subscribed to the newsletter. It's completely free. This is where we do a lot of the updating on events and such. We went up to Mount Dora for Christmas and went around and looked at all of the beautiful lights they had up there. And we actually went by a place called the Lakeside Inn, which is their one of their most haunted locations there. It was really cool to check it out and everything. But when we were doing the research on, because we, we knew we wanted to do a ghost tour there. We thought, oh, that's a great city to go do something like that. I'm, I'm sure it's great. And we knew they had ghost tours there. Unfortunately, the ghost tour that would be up our alley, we don't think is running any longer. And the other two that they offer... Nothing against either one of these, but one is kind of done as an entertainment value, and it's more of a comedic, yeah, tongue-in-cheek, fun story kind of thing, which we like. Although that's fun, and I like to have that thrown in with my ghost tours, we like a, a serious history and a serious, these are the kind of stories that go with this tour and the ghost stories that go with it. So we're like, mm, that's not really what we're looking for. And then the other one that I found, and we've run into this with some other ones as well, because Denise and I are not paranormal investigators, and that is by choice. We don't believe that you are supposed to, you know, and other people won't agree with us, but we don't believe you're supposed to cross into that veil on our end, that that's a, a thing that you're just not supposed to mess with. It's kind of like messing with the Ouija boards and that kind of thing. We don't believe you're supposed to be doing that kind of stuff. You're just going to open yourself up into all kinds of trouble, and a lot of paranormal investigators that we know end up bringing things home and have trouble, and I think that's why. Because they tempted the spirit. Exactly. So we don't like to do anything that incorporates, you know, I don't mind carrying around an EMF meter. I know when we did the one of the ghost tours at uh, Ripley's Auditorium, they gave us an EMF. And it's a fun little plastic device that, you know, I didn't really put too much into it. It's just a regular electromagnetic field tester meter kind of thing. So it's not like it's a, a specific thing used to communicate with ghosts. It just kind of indicates that something in the electromagnet activity around you is changing. It could just be you're near an electrical outlet or something or something that's giving off those vibes. So we don't mind doing that. It's the going out and actually trying to talk to them. Or there's one that's here in Taveras that we thought would be really fun, but it ends with a seance and we don't do that kind of stuff. Yeah, there's only one seance that we attend on a regular basis, and that's in Liberty Square or sometimes found in New Orleans Square. <laughs> in the Haunted Mansion. Of course, I got some really cool stuff from the Haunted Mansion for Christmas. Well, but we do have to be careful as well because it does say beware of hitchhiking ghosts because right. one will follow you home. So <laughs> we do tempt the spirits a little bit at that place that we love so well. But anyway, this other one that's in Mount Dora <laughs> is specifically centered on the Lakeside Inn. And it's a two-hour tour, and we think probably about an hour of it, they actually take you through and do the history, which is fine with us. I don't mind staying in just one location and finding out about the history there and that kind of thing. But then the other hour is doing your own investigation with them, and they provide the equipment and stuff. So both of those tours are just not up our alley. So what we are going to do is do a ghost tour there in the future, but we're going to host it. So give us some time to put it together and do all the research we need to do and, and select different locations, but we're going to do our own. So... In January, we're not going to do a Mount Dora ghost tour. We're going to try to do one in Kissimmee, which for people who aren't in this area is pretty much right outside of where the Magic Kingdom is at and uh, Walt Disney World. So for those of you who are in Central Florida, in January, we're going to do it. We need to contact them and find out exactly what days, because the problem with winter is 
I know up north they don't even do them because it's just too cold and snowy and everything. Down here they have limited tour times and things like that. So we just need to find out if they're offering them, when they're offering it, you know, how many people we have to have and that kind of thing. So stay tuned. We'll set up some kind of an event in January. This will be still in the central Florida area. Exactly. So any ideas you have, or if you've heard of great tours in your area, please let us know. Not that we'll be able to just pack up and come if you're in a different state, but we are going to be doing some across-road traveling over the next years. It's just part of our plan, so we would love to set up meetups anywhere. So let us know, especially if you're in the Florida area, because those ones are more apt to happen sooner. And particularly if you've been on the ghost tour, so you know, because that's the problem, too. If we're inviting a bunch of people to come, like if we'd done one of these Mount Dora ones and it just turned out to be that joke one, because you're going to get, you know, when you look on TripAdvisor, you've got half the people are saying, oh, I absolutely loved it. That was great because they actually offer a ghost walk in Iceland. But the guy who does it, it sounds like it's like the Mount Dora one where it's kind of a tongue in cheek. It's a fun joke kind of one. And you had some people that were like, five stars. It was awesome. We just, we laughed the whole time. It was great. And then you have other people who it was one and two stars because they're like, we were looking for a serious ghost tour with real stories. And of course, with that accent, they could probably just get by with about anything with me. <laughs> I, I <laughs> well, love if I'm in Iceland, talk, you know, I'll, I'll do whatever. <laughs> like, but, whatever. So, but we'd hate to have a bunch of people that we've planned a ghost tour and then we bring them on it and they're like, well, that was kind of cheesy. Exactly. So, we just want to make sure it's an enjoyable experience for everybody. And when it's ones that we haven't been on, we just don't know. On our next show, join us as we continue to stay outside of America. We've been having fun visiting these different locations. And there's no greater place, I think, to go for haunted type stuff than over into Scotland. Oh, absolutely. I've known, I actually have some friends from Scotland. And it is, I've heard stories from them. I heard stories up at World Camp um, of some experiences people had. So I'm very excited to go over there. And there are some people that we have known from Scotland that have told Denise that she sounds like her accent, which is from Utah. <laughs> Utonian accent. <laughs> is Sounds like she's somebody from Edinburgh. So we're going to go to Edinburgh and we're going to do Edinburgh Castle on the next show. So join us for that. Although I will say I have a friend that was here from Scotland and she has a delightful accent. And so I would love to sound like her. All right. You guys all, thanks for joining us. This has been your host, Diane. And this is Denise. Take care now. Bye-bye. Check out the website at historygoesbump.com.